0: Welcome to Man Up, a podcast by men, about men, and for men who want to be better fathers, husbands, leaders, and followers of Jesus. Today's topic, your mental health. Are you ready? Man Up. Yes, sir! Welcome, welcome, my friends. I'm your host, Jared Bowman, and this is Man Up, your podcast with all the encouragement that you need to be a better father, husband, leader, and follower of Jesus. We're a band of brothers. We're soldiers. We're comrades in arms. We fight side by side, shoulder to shoulder, hand over hand, and mile after mile, until each of us has helped the others attain the high calling of Jesus. And today, you are back for part two of our interview called, The Man of God and His Mental Health, with special guest, counselor, evangelist, professor, Joshua Ellis. I'm so glad to know Joshua, to count him now among our guests, and I'm happy to say that this is not the last you're going to hear from him on this program. Joshua's already agreed to do another episode on our program focusing on teen mental health and another on gratitude. I'm trying to bring Keith Stoneheart in on that one. All of these things are going to be coming together in very short order. Speaking of things that are coming up very quickly... Our friend, friend of show, guest many times on this very program, Kenny Embry, has a very special lecture series that he has put together. This is Kenny's baby. It is his brainchild. He is the one who saw this and thought there is a hole here that could be filled for a late summer lecture series that didn't involve traveling anywhere. An opportunity not just to hear people talk on the internet, but to interact to share our thoughts, to talk with members of the audience, and things of that nature. And all of that is happening next week, beginning on July 28th, with a keynote address from another friend of our program, Chris Emerson. Now, this is no small thing. There are six different tracks of speakers, including one on digital discipleship, everyday evangelism, the book of Colossians, a women's track taught by our sisters in Christ, one on church leadership, and on and on. And they feature 60 different speakers, including people like Matt and Jen Schmidt from the Intimate Covenant podcast, Benjamin Lee from the I Can Do podcast, preachers like Mark Roberts, and on and on it goes, including the host of a little show called... Man up. Well... Kenny has been looking at trying to get this to be more accessible to more people and to get more people involved. And so he started giving out discount codes to different podcasts and YouTube programs and things like that. And I just mentioned, I'd be happy to give one to my audience if he felt like it was worth doing. And he absolutely jumped on it. So the next day I get a message from Kenny, here is your discount code. And this is just for the man up audience. This is a 25% off and what you're going to want to do is go to the go to www.balancingthechristianlife.com forward slash lecture and once you're there you'll see that it takes you to a site called eventbrite Eventbrite is is the hosting platform, and you'll see there are three levels of tickets that you can purchase. One is not yet available. It's an after-the-series-is-over level. There's a live attendee. That's the one that the discount code works on, and if you really want a coffee mug and a library of books from Kenny, there's a $130 level, too. But the live attendee is the one that the discount code works on. All you do is select the number of tickets you would like, Hit that Uh, at the top. You'll see Enter Promo Code just above where it says Video Level. And once you click Enter Promo Code, you're going to want to type in, here's where the magic happens. You ready? M-A-N-U-P. No space, no exclamation point. Man up! You want to type that in, that rectangle, and then you want to hit check out and you'll get your new total over to the side and it saves you quite a bit of money at 25%. So thank you Kenny for including our audience and audience. I hope that you will join in. This is going to be a great discussion, but it's time for us to get back to our program. Are you ready? Man up. You also asked, are people
1: more depressed today than 20 years ago? I actually did some research on this because I was, I, I don't know, I just, I got interested and I, I got into some of the databases and found a couple of studies. One said that regarding depression only, that the rates were pretty stable from mm-hmm. n- around 1970 to 2000. So for 30 years, the depression rate centered around 5%. Between 2013 and 2019, depression rates were up. Interesting. Interstage left the pandemic and the numbers for that are still coming in. We're going to be dealing with the, the, the psychological backlash of the pandemic for a decade. So there's no way at this point, I don't think to tell how exactly it's impacted mental health, just because there hasn't been enough time for, for us to see. So numerically, yeah, we are seeing increase And there could be a lot of reasons for that but i do think that part of it is that is that more people are speaking out about it we're finding that the stigma in in a lot of cases is lifting very very slowly but it is but it is
0: still lifting yeah based on on empirical evidence just just kind of the observational data we are getting better about speaking out about it and that's a good thing Mm -hmm. because a lot of what we used to internalize because we don't have those communities anymore where something's going wrong, and then I know I didn't have to ask my neighbor was going to be there helping me. We don't have that anymore. We need to be seeking out people who can give us those tools and sort of unstable our tongues from the table. But the other side of that is, and this is again just kind of reading in journals and things like that, that we've actually had kind of a growing feeling of depression since really two thousand and one and the the 9-11, America kind of lost its invulnerability. You've mm. been involved in, in multiple unending wars since then, that you also had the explosion of cable news. You had the, you know, then MySpace came and then Facebook came and then Instagram. And all of those things have been increasing. increasingly, they are increasingly impersonal forms of communication to where we're not making authentic relationships with people, that In fact, I'm one of those guys that I loathe text messaging unless it is to give me directions or something that I need Right, Uh, a quick answer to, because you can read, so we talked about this earlier, you can read so much into that. You bring your emotional context to it, that there's a good friend of mine, an elder in the congregation, that he's a, he's a very iconic man. And his response to anything that's acceptable is K. The most passive aggressive letter in the entire Bible or in the entire alphabet exactly but but it's not passive aggressive for him that's just who he is right and the the idea of k is okay are you not in agreement with this and you're just going along with it or are you in agreement with this and i i hate text messaging for that reason it's like we got all the way to being able to talk to people face to face over phones Mm -hmm. we went back to hieroglyphics within six months yeah (laughs) that but I mean, a lot of what we feel when it comes to inadequacy, and that's the root of a lot of depression is inadequacy. This, I cannot capture, I cannot do, I cannot attain or achieve. I can't get out of this. I can merely get through this. As you were talking about, there is no getting out of depression. There's just getting through the darker times. But a lot of that has to do with the way that we communicate with each other. Mm -hmm.
1: I think you're right. I think communication is a big part of it. I think physiological health is another core component, you know, just because we're, we're a drive-through culture that, yeah. that has an impact. I read a study a couple of weeks ago that talked about the difference in sleep patterns now versus a hundred years ago. You think about before electricity, the only thing, you're, the only time you could work and do stuff was when the sun was up because otherwise it was too dark to do anything. You know, mm-hmm. people get like on average, I think 30% less sleep now than they did even 50 years ago and, you know, the impacts of that. So, I mean, where we're going you know, culturally, but also as a global population, just with the advance of technology and things like that, it's it, it does have residual impact. And I think, you know, communication belongs on the shelf, you know, communication relationships it belongs on the shelf right up there with things like sleep and food and drinking enough water and exercise i mean again you look at a couple of generations ago everyone was physical because that's how you've got fed now it's just it's it's just different and we're learning how to deal with it and i don't say that to be overly critical i'm i do not want to be the world well, in today's day and age you know everything's just you know going up in flames i don't necessarily think before that. before i was a boy right right <laughs> it does have an impact and we need to not
0: be blind to that and there are some physical ramifications to that. I mean, you you mentioned physiological health. I know that I am a, I am a person. I don't eat terribly, but i if I don't get out and work out, and I haven't been working out a lot lately because I've been pouring myself into YouTube and podcasting, that I've got no metabolism. It's like mm-hmm. I gain weight at the drop of a hat. And I know that that's going to be the case. So I, I know, that's going to be an issue. And it's something that I need to get back on top of. But but even things like posture, it's not all related to looking at cell phones and and us kind of bowing our head and looking at this. You look at people's just posture as they're walking around. You can tell that it's almost like we carry a burden on us all the time. The shoulders are slumped, the The chin is down. We make ourselves look like we're about 50 pounds heavier than we are. Our knuckles are kind of dragging around like this because there's no, I think about the way my grandfather would walk around, you know, he was proud to do the things he would do. He Mm -hmm. he loved working in his garden. He loved working on people's cars. I mean, chest out, shoulders back, just that's how men comported themselves. And it wasn't about, hey, this is how men walk. It's about he had purpose. Mm -hmm. He had purpose. And a lot of what's missing in our lives is that kind of purpose. And if you don't know what your purpose is, you're going to have a harder time navigating depression because it's just one more thing that you're going to be depressed over.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and we're in a, we're in a time now where we need to find our own purpose. Yeah. You know, 50, 60 years ago, this, this was done for us. You know, in my grandparents' generation, you almost never had a wife who worked outside of the home. Most families were, were single income two kids, you know, white picket fence, a Volvo and chocolate labs. And that was just kind of how, how everything worked. Well, obviously in the last couple of generations, women have increasingly stepped out of the home as their primary role, stepped into the workforce. And now as men, particularly men, let's say between the age of like 30 and 55, we're relearning what it means. To, to have purpose because a lot of us married women who wouldn't have to rely on us financially without us, they would still be able to be self sufficient. I mean, I was raised by a single mother. I tell everyone I'm a dyed in the wool feminist in that respect. But what the impact that that has had on masculine culture well, now it's not a given that your job is to be the breadwinner and, and finding that purpose without having that sort of homework done for us has proved mm-hmm. to be very challenging, particularly within the space
0: of self-worth and, and as you said, purpose. Yeah. So when you stop and you look at that in, and finding that purpose, finding our sense of self-worth, finding our really finding a joy, finding a reason to be joyful, it, it's more difficult today because we are kind of, of rudderless and That's one of the places where, again, coming back to this idea, the strong sense of community can help navigate that. I mean, I look at will and I've got purpose. Mm -hmm. I stepped away from, and I'm not going to talk about this in detail, but I stepped away from secular job to preach the gospel because I didn't feel like I had any purpose there. And I felt like the time I was a full-time gospel preacher and full-time in sales and sales engineering for a data center provider. But that ate up so much of my time, I didn't feel like I was really attaining anything but a paycheck that allowed me to live in a middle-class lifestyle. I wasn't doing anything with my life. And I, that's one of the reasons why, even though I don't have a huge audience, why I continue the YouTube and the podcasting and try to get it to grow. I feel like it gives me some purpose. Mm-hmm. It lets me work in an area where maybe I can do some good. And that's one of the things that I really believe is missing that sort of leads to that next question on negative self-talk is most of us, that monologue really takes off in the negative direction because we don't at our core know who we are. We don't know. And I just did an entire man up episode on negative self-talk. And I used I used myself as an example, I was having a bad week that week that I just felt like Episodes were trending down. In fact, we've gone to one episode a week during the summer because people have a hard time listening to podcasts in summer. I had a number of guests have to punt because they forgot about vacation or something else came up or there's people going to, to FC camps all over the country. Oh, I forgot that was camp week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just had a number of people that had that are guys that I know would be there for me, but they had this commitment that they just didn't think about. And it, it really got to me. So I did a whole episode on negative self-talk and how how dangerous that is and how, <clears> how self-repeating that can become but i've noticed that for me when i feel like i'm failing in some aspect of my life that that's a big trigger that causes problems in in sort of that internal monologue that uh, that failure to attain and you've talked about that a little bit already for others relationships are a big trigger if the the sexual relationship with a wife or even the the day-to-day relationship with our wives is not what it should be then that leads to a lot of negative self-talk others it's a diet of too much external information to where I don't feel, I feel unable to have any positive outcome on the discussion or the debate in this country over abortion or something like that. What are some signs that we're struggling with low self-esteem and low self-worth? And what are some coping strategies to start with?
1: You know, I, I think the signs are going to be in the self-talk. If you're, because self-talk is self-talk. But if yours is only negative, then that's definitely going to be an indication. If you never find yourself thinking, you know what? I'm pretty pleased with this, right? Because we tend to be very imbalanced. If I lose my temper and raise my voice at my kids, then the only reasonable explanation in my estimation is that I'm a terrible father, right? But we don't. We don't look at the positive aspects as well. If I really come through and we go to the park and we play baseball and we're laughing and we're having a good day, I'm not going to interpret that as I'm a good father. I'm going to look at that as, you know what, well, that was pretty fun. So yeah. we tend to be so imbalanced in how we, how we gather this information and how we arrive at, at, at these conclusions. I, I encourage my clients all the time, just be accurate because the issue isn't negative self-talk. I say, if you want to uh, bust your chops and kick your own butt and make yourself a better man, you'll you'll not find a bigger cheerleader for you than me. I will be mm-hmm. over here in your corner encouraging you on in that. But if it's not accurate yeah. and if it's automatic, if you yeah. are struggling with something and uh, I just replaced our kitchen faucet yesterday and I Ooh. felt like. Brain surgery would have been that's less complicated. That's like a labor of Hercules. Why I, I, I watch guy do that? And water shot out of the top of the new one and hit the ceiling. Oh man! Well, I was just like contorting under the counter. There's not enough room to to use the tools or anything like that. Inevitably, I slipped and I cracked my knuckle on the on the side. And it's really easy in that moment to say, "Oh, I just I can't do anything right." Mm-hmm. But that's automatic. That's not intentional. That's not me saying, "Hey, Josh, what do you need to do to make yourself a better man." So when it comes to, when it comes to coping strategies, really challenge for accuracy. If, if you think you're a terrible father, you better be able to list out why. And it needs to be a why that would quote, hold up in court, so to speak. Yeah. Because if you say, well, I'm a terrible father because I raise my voice up my kids. And I say, really, that's, that, that that's, that sounds pretty bad. Did you ever have a parent raise their voice at you and every single person on the planet is gonna say well yeah my my dad yelled at me and i said was he a terrible father and maybe he was and maybe he wasn't but he wasn't because he raised his voice at you that one right. time and that's the point point. and if you can break that those cognitive distortions that say one mistake equals total failure mm-hmm. that really that really helps another thing is to listen to the people who love you and the people who are trustworthy. I tell people all the time, everybody needs a grandmama, all right? Everybody needs someone who's going to tell you that you're wonderful no matter what you do. But that's Mm -hmm. not the person that you're going to go to for sound advice. That friend who's not afraid to tell you when you're being an idiot, if your spouse, who they're going to look at you and they're going to say, I love you, but this is not working, what do they think about you? And if you find yourself disinclined to agree with them, it has to be for one of two reasons. Either they're stupid or they're lying. Mm -hmm. And if you can estimate that your wife or your best friend or whoever, that they're neither stupid nor lying, then you need to at least consider that their opinion of you should hold some weight. And then finally, and probably the most important strategy, and this is where... Being a Christian and working with Christians makes my job so much easier. When it comes to your value and your self-worth, brother, you don't get a vote. That was decided at the cross and no amount of failure or coming up short in any capacity, whether it's as a husband, a father, a professional, a new sink installer, or a green (laughs) screen screen Jedi. Yeah. (laughs) No, no amount of failure changes that. And, and I I think it's beneficial to look at it pretty harshly and, Mm -hmm. and just remind ourselves that your opinion doesn't matter. That would be me trying to comment on quantum physics. It's like, sure, I can, I can make something up, but I have zero credibility in that space. We don't have the credibility to, to counteract what was
0: done at the cross regarding our value. And a lot of that really comes back to the things that we were talking about earlier and that's finding your purpose and your purpose was defined in the at the cross your, your purpose is to be a disciple of jesus and, and that's why i start the show the way that i start because it really is all of us trying to help the others attain the high calling of jesus our purpose that's the purpose given to us at the cross is love one another as i've loved you that the purpose given at the cross is to go and make disciples, teach people to be followers of me. And if we don't understand that that's our purpose, then we really are kind of adrift. And it's one of the reasons why, I'm not saying that Christianity is the cure for depression. I think we've already covered that. But it is, it does help us navigate these waters because our worth is defined and our purpose is to Mm -hmm. a degree defined. But when we take that to, and we've talked about the media a little bit already, but I I was thinking as you were sitting there and you were talking about your worth, I was thinking about how much counseling, a good counselor sort of feels like like an episode of Mr. Rogers. They're listening, they're listening, they're listening. Then they take this thing that, of course, he was imagining that we said it, that was not quite right, and they reflect it back at you like holding up a mirror. And would you say this about somebody else in this situation? Well, no, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't say your dad, my dad wasn't a horrible dad because he raised his voice sometimes at us because he did it very rarely and always to sort of correct our behavior Mm -hmm. into a godly model. And now, am I careful about how I raise my voice with Will? Yeah, because I've got a loud voice. And because my son, as I mentioned in the notes for the other show, I sent you the notes on, my son's a little bit of an empath he internalizes the feelings that are around him and I have to remember that. So if I'm sitting there, a lot of negative self-talk going on, guess what my eight-year-old thinks? It's about me. Mm -hmm. Dad is upset with me. And when you think about our media and you think about the kinds of messages that we're hearing, both traditional and social, movies, entertainment, television, how can we tell if they're affecting us negatively? And is it wise to maybe... Take a media fast every once in a while.
1: Historically, the media has portrayed men as either the punchline or the villain. Right. Almost almost across the board. And I think it's going to affect different people differently. And it's going to be those with a strong sense of identity and worth that are not going to be as susceptible. Mm -hmm. When you think about your scrolling on Facebook and someone you read a post that talks about you let's say a a man in the workplace being treated better than a female in the workplace uh here's how you know if the media is affecting you negatively if your inclination is to immediately jump to that defense well that's not true because it's not true with me then yes i would say that is a warning sign that that media social or traditional is 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 affecting you negatively. Yeah. I think fasting is good. We do we do that especially with our kids during the during the school year. We have no screen Wednesday and there are no video games except on the on the weekend. I mean it's really important to regulate that. I think it would be important for us to regulate that for ourselves, but it is far more important to consider what we're going to replace that media with. Yeah. And and this makes it easier too. It's better to pursue something positive than to simply avoid something negative. So if you're yeah. going to take a break from social media, you're going to delete the app for a while. What are you planning to do right when you wake up, when you reach for your phone and you start doom scrolling? What are you going to do instead? <laughs> I love that term. It's uh, you might you may have never heard it, but my, you know exactly yeah. what it means. Yeah. What bad news am I going to kick my day off with? That's sure. going to make me see the world in a negative light. Yeah. And, and you're absolutely right. So whether it's first thing in the morning or when you're in the bathroom or when you're waiting in line for your Starbucks or whatever it is that you're doing, find find what you're going to replace that with. Whether it's, yeah. whether it's something prayerful, whether it's a Bible reading, whether it's a, a Devo or something, pursue a positive rather than just avoid a negative.
0: Yeah. And it's I, – I, we had Chris Emerson on. I guess it was week before last, and we were talking about, about prayer and he talked about fasting and he used the example in Mark nine of the, that type of demon only came out with prayer and fasting and how it is that every struggle we face is a spiritual struggle. According to the Bible, it's not just, Hey, there's bad things going on in my life. A lot of it is the devil's trying to unseat my faith and probably not something you talk a lot about in your counseling, but with people in the church that you're involved with, that's absolutely the conversation you mm-hmm. have. And he was talking about, he came up with this, I don't know if it was original to him or not, but he came up with this really cool acronym for FAST. And it was focus, abstain, substitute. And then I he said, taste, he went to Psalm 34. I, I kind of replaced that with take in. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that if you don't substitute and you're just leaving out negative, you're probably going to fill that hole with something negative, right? Sure. If you're not focused on God, if if I just say, okay, I'm abstaining from Facebook for three days a week. I'm probably going to find another source for that negativity if I don't Mm -hmm. commit myself to doing something positive. And that's the real lesson. But let's say that we try that, we're trying to limit the media, we're trying, and I have no doubt in my mind that that the media has a huge negative impact on us. That, I mean, the shift in values and even traditional media and entertainment is definitely something we all feel. But one of the things that Jeff Carr and I talked about in the last episode is there's no way for me to do enough protesting, screaming, boycotting to affect that. The only thing that's going to affect people around me in a positive way to look for Jesus is to live like Jesus, not complain about what's going on all the time. But yet, it's that complaining that makes us feel like we're accomplishing something, goes back mm-hmm. to that sense of accomplishment. Boy, I gave that person the facts on abortion, okay, but did you show them the love of Christ? I signed this petition that that this politician wanted me to sign, and now there's 4 million signatures. Well, great. But what did that really accomplish? That I'm, I'm abstaining from this movie company because they created this movie and I didn't like this plot. That's fine. That's a decision you can make for your family. But is that really making the world better around you? Or are you just doing something that's really kind of spiritually akin to spinning your wheels? We get caught in those cycles, don't we?
1: a 100% and I think it comes back to that that sense of accomplishment I start to feel inadequate so I'm going to start looking for things to do I call it that false sense of accomplishment I'll sit down I'm a planner and I always use cleaning my garage as the the standard illustration for this but got junk out in my garage floor to ceiling so I'm going to sit down and I'm going to see from 10 to 12, I'm going to focus on getting all the garbage out. And from 12 to one, I'm going to organize all of the the gardening or lawn equipment. And you know, from one to three, that's, I'm going to go through all of those, you know, 5 million totes that I've got out there and figure out what I'm keeping and what I'm throwing away. And I get done with this plan and I've color coded it and I have it all good to go because that's just how I work. And I think, whew, I am exhausted. Cleaning out the garage really is tiring. <laughs> I'll wipe off my brow and pat myself on the back. I haven't actually done anything, but because I devoted that that mental energy to it, now my brain thinks that I've done something. So I get that endorphin rush, like I've actually accomplished something. Yeah. And for, for right now, that's good enough. And I may or may not get out there and clean my garage, but... But, yeah, I think that speaks to your point is that figuratively spinning our wheels, we're mm-hmm. doing things, but maybe not necessarily accomplishing things, which tells us, and this is going to be hard for some of us to hear, tells us that the mental satisfaction is more of a motivation than actually accomplishing what we want. We want to feel like we've done something more than we want to do something.
0: That That is goal. Sometimes – It is the sense of accomplishment. We're doing something related to that rather than really doing the thing. We're looking for that endorphin rush and not really the accomplishment that makes the accomplishment so far away that we don't actually do the thing. We sort of commit ourselves to a plan. Hey, I feel better about this, but then we feel worse about it again.
1: That's, and that's true. And I, and I want to clarify because again. As men, we like to make these applications. So if somebody just heard that and they thought, you know what? That's me. I'm a lousy person. I want to just have the brakes <laughs> on that. Sometimes you just want to feel like you've done something and there is not a thing in the world wrong with that. I'm only suggesting let's be accurate about it. And, yeah, and let's be honest. Let's, yeah. And be comfortable saying, you know what? I don't really want to go clean the garage, but I really could use a good sense of accomplishment so go find something smaller to do or sit down and say, I'm going to plan out how I'm going to clean the garage and let that be your sense of accomplishment as long as you can be accurate. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to just, I just really need to feel like I've done something today. Yeah. Perfectly normal
0: and perfectly acceptable. Just but make if you're sure not defining that are real. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about, I mean, that, that's a healthy way of dealing with it. I want a sense of accomplishment today. I'm going to plan on cr- cleaning out the garage next week. Today, I'm going to go look at it. I'm going to analyze what needs to be done. I'm going to map this out. We're going to have the truck here to get the stuff to Goodwill that needs to go to Goodwill. Yep. I am go- I mean, this is going to look like the Berlin Airlift. That, I mean, it's going to be, I and mean, there's an old reference, and I'm 45, <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> but but it, it, this is going to be like the Berlin Airlift. I mean, we are going to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, hey, I cleaned out the garage today, and you really didn't, and the next time you walk out there and you go, I'm so terrible. I didn't really do it. That you have to, you have to frame these achievements. And that's a great segue into two questions I'm going to put together. You think about men, you think about our desire for accomplishment. This audience is overwhelmingly self-identified Christian men. Are there passages that we should be thinking about when we're feeling overwhelmed and we're just looking for that win? And when is the right time for us to start looking for help rather than trying to navigate these things for ourselves?
1: So I want to start with your second question, brilliant, because the answer to that, when is the right time to seek help? Yesterday, my research revealed, and I did, this was one of my interview questions. What was one thing, if you can go back and go through your entire counseling experience again, what's something that you would do differently? Every single one of them, 100% said that they wish they would have sought help sooner. Men tend to wait until the last possible moment. So the data that I coded for my dissertation research, words like suicide, giving up, end of my rope, blackout drunk, very, very highly charged or or words that indicated a high level of severity. So by the time they called the counselor, they were at the end, completely out of gas. I would encourage you, you or anybody listening that wellness is always better than treatment that forming a relationship with the counselor and maybe you go in and you talk to them once every three months whether you feel like you need to or not it's always better to to pursue wellness rather than waiting because if you wait if the bottom has dropped out and you are at the very end then the requirements for you to work through that it's going to be much more difficult than if you a sense of wellness. So right. always seek help sooner rather than later. When it comes to men and, and us feeling overwhelmed, are there passages that we should be thinking about? I have two. One is, one is Psalm 46, <laughs> because the stillness that is communicated, I think that's probably the most difficult, but maybe the most essential when we are feeling like we're missing the mark or that it's just too much. We, we so badly want the bad feelings to go away. Mm-hmm. Brene Brown talks about leaning into that negativity or sitting in that, sitting in that discomfort. And, and that brings to mind the, the second passage, which is James 1. We often want the bad feelings to go away. We don't even consider that they might have value. There's nothing wrong with feeling overwhelmed. There's nothing wrong with being sad, and that all stems from these completely irrational and unreasonable expectations for ourselves yeah. that I need to be the I need to be the expert on something that I've never studied. yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say in James's analogy that those feelings are what actually drive us to God for spiritual growth <laughs> and and can deepen our prayer life. And yet, often what we see is, when we are in those feelings, the prayer is the first thing that suffers because we don't feel we have this idea that when I was right with him, I was worthy of talking to him. Mm -hmm. And now I'm unworthy of talking to him. And the real truth to it all is you were never worthy of talking to him. He always wants to hear from you. Mm -hmm. Which the
1: ironic part of this, especially as a preacher, is we will spout this stuff out all day long but then for some reason when it comes time to apply it to ourselves we think we're special this is another go-to for my clients i I tell my clients all the time i was like you're not special if you don't get to be the greatest person in the entire world you also get to be the worst person in the entire world and the the expectation for perfection i remember I, i heard a preacher years and years ago i think i'd been preaching less than five years and dude like brought down the house i mean it was still to this day one of the best best sermons that i've ever heard i mean the the study behind it the delivery everything was perfect and i remember walking out of that building thinking i hate that guy which is not really not really true but it's like here i am i'm five years into a preaching career and i'm upset that i'm not as good as someone who's been doing it for over 20 like that's yeah that's bananas But we will drink that Kool-Aid every day of the week. And what that does in the same way that conceding a point to an opposing viewpoint implies weakness or failure, because we feel like we have to be perfect, we shame ourselves when we're not, and and we we cut off our opportunities for growth. Because we don't have to be perfect, but we do need to grow. And in order to grow, we need to acknowledge where we're weak. And then put in the work to make that strong or to make that stronger. It's not always comfortable, but it's still necessary.
0: Well, men today are under the same pressures as previous generations. Most men are at least partially the provider for their household. We're husbands, we're fathers. I believe that most guys genuinely want to contribute to the community around us in a positive way. That's why we tend to go do things like. I don't know, get involved in the neighborhood games that the kids are playing or mm-hmm. go coach soccer or something like that. Or, or, you know, I know a guy whose son was a, was a member of the Boy Scouts and he's continued to be a troop leader for years and years. I mean, you may know it. It's, it's Jay Orsley in, in Kansas. That his, he's continued to be involved in the Boy Scouts and Eagle Scouts for years and years and years and years and years just because he wants to be a positive influence. Increasingly, though, Men, and you alluded to this earlier, are being portrayed in one of two negative ways. It, we're either the dolts or there is no more villainous person in this world than a straight Christian American male. There's no no worse figure that you can imagine in media and culture. And so so much of that is beginning, we're beginning to see a pushback against it. And maybe some of that it's good, maybe. And is some of that is overcorrection. A perfect example of that is kind of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. No matter how you look at this, it's an unhealthy environment. How do we break ourselves out of this cycle so that it doesn't internalize or even like the word metastasize mm-hmm. into a depression? How do we raise particularly not just our kids but particularly our young men, knowing that they've really got the target on them right now? To be godly and mentally healthy in this environment. Now, I know we're going to talk a little bit about this in a future episode, but sure lay the groundwork. It,
1: it, it comes down to me to accuracy. Yeah. We need not be naive about what we're facing from a, a cultural and a societal, and a societal standpoint. and. Mm-hmm we've somehow cultivated this idea that there is nothing in the world worse than not being liked or accepted. And I think that this holds too much power over us. So, I mean, for our kids and for ourselves, we need to decide in advance whose opinion matters. Mm -hmm. Because we will, and, and in a lot of ways, we've made the opinions of other people our God. We will we will edit and adjust what we type on social media because we're thinking about how this one person or persons will interpret what we're saying. I think right. we we most likely do the same thing in the pulpit. We do the same thing in conversations with our kids, how they dress or how we dress them, things like that because we want to be accepted, which interestingly enough brings out a contrast between acceptance and belonging. Brene Brown talks about this, and the distinction she makes is that acceptance or sorry, belonging is when we change who we are in order to fit in with a certain crowd, for lack of a better term. Right. So what's actually being accepted is not us. It's the creation of this facade. Yeah. Does that create That's, more stress? One hundred percent because you number one, you have to keep up the facade and number two, you're constantly living in this. Well, if they knew the real me, then they wouldn't feel the same way. That's belonging. Acceptance is when someone sees you, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between, and says, you know what? You're still okay, which is Mm -hmm. incidentally how God sees us, most likely how our best friend who's not afraid to tell us we're being an idiot sees us, most likely how our wives see us, In, in more cases than not, how our kids see us. However, those are the opinions that for some reason tend to hold the least amount of credibility when it comes to these societal standards. I mean, and I think Johnny Depp, Amber Heard is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. From a parenting standpoint, parenting toward resilience is so so incredibly important. This idea that someone hurt my baby's feelings that I'm going to swing in on a a vine and I'm going to go up to that school. Please don't. Nobody has to like your kid. Like, let's be real. You don't even like your kid all the time. I mean, that's uh, like, we, we love them. We love them. But if we're being real, our kids get on our nerves sometimes. So why are we so offended if our kids get on somebody else's nerve, somebody else's nerves, a seven-year-old calls your friend a duty head or whatever. No, that's not okay. But it's also a long way from a bullet to the heart. This idea that everybody has to be nice to you, everybody has to love you, everybody has to appreciate you is completely false. That is not mm-hmm. that is not accurate thinking. But I think that's how we parent toward resilience. Not everybody has to want to play with you. Not everybody has to like you. Not everybody is going to like you. When we communicate to our kids, we'll just be nice to them and they'll be your friend. It sets an impossible standard because it's just not true. That coupled with the, the idea of toxic masculinity, which I think is a complete lie. I don't think masculinity is toxic. I think toxicity is toxic. Amen. Can, Can masculinity be toxic? I mean, yep. well, yeah, if you have a toxic person who's
0: behaving through it. But so I don't know. Like that's what Jeff Carr and I just talked about in the last Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, masculinity is not inherently toxic. Toxic people are toxic regardless.
1: regardless. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. So that was, kind of a, that was kind of a smattering of kind
0: of a, kind of a hodgepodge, I guess. And, I, I'm telling you, I'm calling question. it now, audience. This is going to be, as soon as he gets room on his plate, I mean, he's got three jobs. He's a professor, <laughs> a counselor, and an evangelist. As soon as Josh gets room on his plate, this, I can see the cover now. It's a father walking hand in hand with a son. It's Parenting Toward Resilience, bestseller 2024. I'm calling it right now. All right, I'll take it. All right, I, I'm telling you, you need to. You need to, I'll even write a forward for you if you want me to. You're on 100%. <laughs> All right. All right. So last, last question. I-, I got two episodes out of this and I wasn't even trying, but I, I, I- we've had a great discussion, but let's get this it. last. Oh yeah, I have to. So there was a study a few years ago that looked at prayer and its effect on depression. I sent you the link to the study. It was overwhelmingly positive. Prayer has a positive effect. I mean, they tried it against placebo. They tried it against meditation. Mm-hmm they tried it against just doing good things, prayer won. While it's certainly not a fix-all because we're not looking to be fixed, we're looking to navigate, can prayer affect our mental health in a positive way, and if so, what are some things we need to be talking to God about that maybe we aren't?
1: I love this. And in fact, before Parenting with Resilience, I'm actually in the very beginning stages of working on a project called The Psychology of Christianity, where I want to take a look at things like prayer, gratitude, worship, community, um, all of this, and, and look at the neurobiological effects of that. Because in the same way that God told the Israelites what they should eat and where they should go to the bathroom to promote their own physical health. Yes, it was obedience to his statutes, but at the same time, it was for their own good. I, I think we can clearly see how, how, how this stuff is for our own good as well. Yeah. So if you remove the theological component out of prayer, yes, mm-hmm. we know that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'm, not, I'm certainly not disputing that. But if we take that out of the equation there is something that happens when we articulate what we're feeling which is why talk therapy is so effective Mm -hmm. in our heads if we're feeling down or we're feeling anxious or overly self-critical we have all of these ideas and thoughts and sentence fragments and images swirling around in our head just like a tornado what we don't have Is a sentence with the beginning, middle, end, and a period at the end of it. So when we articulate our struggles, we actually apply language to it and we bring out of the obscurity into real, like real focus and say, you know what? I'm sad right now because I don't feel like I'm living up to the standard that I ought to. Just that sentence by itself, because you apply language to it, now it becomes more palatable. Because before that, it's you're a loser and you're terrible and you are never measure up to anything and all of these, all of these partial thoughts. So I think that's, that's an, one of the ways that prayer helps us is because we do apply language and bring, bring meaning and order out of the chaos. Right. Prayer gives us the opportunity to acknowledge what we know, you know, depression, anxiety, I think we've established thrive on inaccuracy. So when we acknowledge what we know, Hey, I'm not going to feel like this forever. And I know that because I didn't feel like this six months ago. So I'm not going to, I'm most likely not going to feel like this six months from now, I know that God is my refuge and, and God is my strength that gives us some grounding in, in something solid so that the instability of our emotions don't take over. And let's just talk for a second about how instable our emotions are. People use the word hangry, all right? And it's not a clinical term, but it should right. be. I tell my kids, I tell people from the pulpit, and I tell my clients all the time, you can be hungry and you can be a good person, you cannot be both at the same time. That is true. So if something as inconsequential as a sandwich can have such an impact on your mental health, that tells us at the very least that our emotional responses are not to be trusted. So what is? And that gets back to the things we know. You know what? I might be having a, a bad day, but I'm trying. I know that I'm trying. I know that my wife is neither stupid nor a liar and she thinks I'm a good man. So I'm going to hold on to that. My kids, they've seen me at my worst and they still think I'm awesome. So I'm going to hold on to that, acknowledge what we know. Yeah. And then the final point, which I could talk about this a lot longer than I'm going to. Oh, we made um, a whole episode on it then. Well, gratitude. Oh yeah, the, yeah I'm, no, the, I'm nailing you down right now for a third episode on gratitude. Okay. I'm I'm here for it. The, the psychological yeah, of gratitude. Out. Yes. Yes. 100% because the, the impact of gratitude and what the research has found out is that it's not dear Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. We, we want to pray for the big stuff first because yeah. I mean, come on, what kind of guy are you if you don't thank God for your wife and kids? We get it. Kind, You're grateful. A kind of loser, are you? Yeah, no joke. <laughs> but it's not the big, abstract wife or or sorry, family, home, health. Thank you for this day. All that. It's not the big stuff that has a, a significant and positive psychological impact. It's the little stuff. It's the little things in the moment. Right now, it's 91 degrees, and it's not even lunchtime in Texas. I'm really grateful that I've got AC in my office. Amen. And just because we're choosing to be grateful for small things doesn't mean that the big things aren't important. But what the study found is that by articulating gratitude regularly for the for the day to day small things in our lives actually reduce cortisol levels. It reduced symptoms of depression, which is why it's gratitude. I think is such a, a vital component to prayer. So throwing all of that together, I mean, I'm not at all surprised that. That, that prayer was shown even over meditation and positive behavioralism and things like that was shown to be significantly effective.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, I want to be clear, Josh is not saying replace your counselor with prayer. It, it is something we need to be doing, but there is a tool you just kind of laid out for the guys. It's one of the mm-hmm. ways of navigating this, and that's something we've been singing about in churches for over 100 years, that's count your blessings. Yep, 100%. And, and, and that moves you closer to God. And and being okay, and I know I've I've harped
1: on this a lot, but there's another another term, another toxic that I actually agree with, and and it's the idea of toxic positivity. There's a silver lining. Not always. Sometimes things are just lousy. And, And giving ourselves permission to experience something lousy is, is incredibly important. Trying to turn a positive or sorry, a negative into a positive is just as inaccurate as saying you're a terrible father because you were five minutes late picking up your kid from school. We, we need to just be honest with ourselves and, yeah. and not, try to, not try to cloak something. So being able to say, you know what, Lord, I am struggling today you know what? I know I need to be a better husband. I don't have the energy or the motivation. I don't want to work. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't even want to be having this conversation right now. Uh huh. I mean, God already knows. But we struggle so often, I think, to be honest with ourselves that we really, we, we really cut off our lifeline.
0: And there's really a whole other episode that we could go into that, because there's a difference between being honest and complaining.
1: Yes, 100%. and if
0: And if you look at Job, and this is something my buddy, I, I think you know, and Jeremy Hodges talks about mm-hmm. a lot, is that when you look at a book like, and I'm going to swing to the left field here for just a second, but you look at a book like Song of Solomon. Why is that in your Bible? Well, it's God-authorized romance language. It's mm-hmm. not an allegory for Christ in the church. It's about sex. Mm-hmm. It's about wooing your wife and keeping that sexual spark alive. And to try to make it something that it's not is to steal the power from it. Job, on the other hand, is God-authorized grief language. Job mm-hmm. did all this, and yet we're told at the end of Job, he didn't sin. Did Job lay some charges against God that God sort of answered? That, hey, I don't understand why this is going on. I I wish you were here for me to talk to because, yeah, you and I could have a discussion about this. And what was God's answer to Job? No, Job, you really wouldn't understand it if I explained it to you. You know mm-hmm. how I know that's true? Because I can read the book of Job and I still don't understand it. Right. There's There's realities, even when I look behind the curtain, that Job never got to look behind. But what is there is God authorized language in grief and also God unauthorized language in grief, which is to sit there and blame the person that's dealing with the grief and dealing Mm -hmm. with the, dealing with the depression. And just recognizing that is so important that there's a difference between complaining and expressing something that is a truth. Even if it's not a true thing, it's the truth that you're not, not saying there's a truth for you and a truth for me. But it's the place that I'm living in right now. Even if the thoughts that I'm living in aren't an accurate depiction of the world around me. Right. Now, one thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned, and this is so important, you you sort of made the joke about being hangry, and but it's so true that that and, and I didn't come up with this. Benjamin Lee came up with this. But First Kings nineteen after after Elijah has this great victory at Mount Carmel, right? That Ahab sort of relents and repents a little bit from what he was doing, and then goes back to Jezebel, and he's fire stoked all over again Mm -hmm. and she's doubled down on killing him and all these things and so Elijah goes out to the wilderness and just says God I just want to die just kill me I don't want to be here anymore just leave me alone and and there's three things that happen number one he's told to take rest number two God sends him something to eat Mm -hmm. and then number three God has a real conversation with him about the work that he wants him to do Elijah's job was not to change the state of Israel Elijah's job was to prepare Israel to hear what Elisha had to say, and that was, God's done with you. Mm-hmm. And when you stop and you think about that, are we working at the wrong job? But what, what I love that Ben points out is before Elijah could hear that, he needed, God gave him three things, a nap, a snack, and a job. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not right physiologically, it's hard to be right emotionally. 100%.
1: And I think that order is incredibly important as well. When I'm working with couples, one of the first assignments that I give them is that they are not allowed to have any serious conversations between the hours of 4.30 and 6. That's right when people are getting home from work, everybody's hungry, everybody's tired, everybody's grouchy, and oh, that seems like the perfect time to bring up the fact that the dishwasher (laughs) is leaking all over the kitchen. I'm like, stop, please. Or that and and really for math. that reason, yeah, for the for that reason, yeah, I think that's yeah. I had put wise words. One, yeah, one hundred percent hard to follow, yeah. uh, but don't but, go to the
0: but, grocery but, store when you're hungry, and don't try to work on your marriage when you're hungry. No joke,
1: no joke. And just the the importance of accuracy. And I, I wonder sometimes if that's why we don't run into such a distaste when it comes to Christianity is because. It, is there inauthenticity that, that's yeah. being communicated? And I think sometimes I don't like being the guide who says, well, you know what the problem with the church is, dot, dot, dot. I don't think that accomplishes anything. But I also think we at least need to consider that maybe yeah. us being inauthent- inauthentic with ourselves, it, it could be impacting our our overall mission. That... It, in order to be a good Christian, we have to feel a certain way. So when we don't feel that way, the only re- or the only reasonable explanation is that we're bad Christians. I just I, I don't see that. Isn't that what we try to do with with things like contentment or joy? I Don't really yeah. feel joy, but I'm gonna sure pretend like I do. It's that toxic joy uh, you were talking about. Yeah, and God doesn't God doesn't want us to fake it. That's yeah. that that's such an important point. He wants us to realize that. I can be content because no matter what happens to me here, I know what's waiting for me. That's genuine contentment, but it doesn't mean
0: that mental struggles aren't ever going to be present. And that's so important for evangelism. A lot of us are kind of like, uh, how do I get you in this new car? I'm going to tell you about all the benefits of being in Christ. Mm -hmm. You're not going to sell people into Jesus. If it is not authentic within you, people are going to sense it. They are going to know that it's fake. And one of the ways that they know it's fake is you've always got a polished smile and a quip for everything. If if you're never having a bad day, then you're not selling authentic Christianity because Christianity can't be sold. It has to be desired. And you don't desire it by never having a bad day you learn to desire it because people see you navigating life, bad days and all. And yet you keep going. And that's the difference. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Well, put. Well, brother, I, I've got two episodes out of this, whether we'd meant to or not. It's been a great, yeah, you don't, I you could stop to talk talking, <laughs> no, I, I would be very much very much remiss if i did not ask you to tell people at least in texas who who need looking for a counselor how can they get in touch with you
1: the probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is through my practice which is mindworks counseling services you can get that at www.mindworkslubbock.com all of my all of my contact information is is on there I get a lot of calls, a lot of messages from preachers in the area. Hey, I have, there's a member of the church and they're struggling with this, this, and this. What do we do? Please keep making those phone calls. I'm happy to answer any question to point you in the right direction, to help you find a, a clinician, anything I can. Please
0: don't hesitate to reach out. All right. You heard the man get in touch with him. It sounds like you may be looking for a couple of bestsellers you got to pick up at your Amazon or your Barnes and Noble.
1: I'm gonna hold it maybe because because (laughs) I'm gonna
0: offer to write the forwards to him as I already have. And I I don't know, I've never written a forward for a book, and I'd like to think that everyone that I write will be a bestseller. So I'm just saying, (laughs) maybe,
1: maybe that's why it'll be the bestseller. I doubt,
0: but. I will. It's been such a great conversation and I'm looking forward to the other episodes that we've got planned. I, I, you talk about being thankful for small things. I, I thank God for David Osteen, who, who really said you need to talk to Josh Ellis because he can help your audience. So, you know, brother, I appreciate what you did today. Any last words you want to say to the guys? No, I
1: just, just wanted to say thanks to you as well. I appreciate what you're doing. I'm excited to be a part of it. Just hope everyone listening found, found some benefit. I, I would think that if somebody hears these episodes and are a little less quick to be too hard on themselves, then that would, I would consider that a great success.
0: So appreciate you. All right, brother. For me, all my guests, everybody that's a part of man up and also the biblically speaking channel. We like to say it, have a good day. God bless.
1: And man up. Dismissed!